Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio today. We are so glad that you are here. As a matter of fact, I believe that there's not a single person who is here, either in person or who is watching online, that is not here on God without God's purpose. I believe that there is no one that is here by accident, not only this morning, but every time we gather. And so I would just want to welcome you, and I want to thank you for accepting God's invitation to be here in this moment in time with this church, worshiping together today. You're going to hear me talk a lot about God's intentions for this moment today, and especially as we think about how God is calling us as a church to be present in this moment, in this time, to deal with everything that is going on in this world right now. But to begin, we're going to start this morning with Paul's letter to the book, uh, to the church of, of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You can find it in your bulletin, but I invite you to read along as I read aloud. We're going to be talking about this morning about how God has made us for this moment in time. So reading from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. And you were dead in in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, but, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. When my son Bo was eight years old, like a lot of kids, he played Pop Warner football. But when he first started playing, he was the youngest kid on his team and he was the smallest guy on his team. But you know what? His coach had seen him play soccer and his coach had had just known him through Boy Scouts or through Cub Scouts in some other ways. And and he liked Bo and he wanted him on his team. And one thing he knew about Bo was that he was smart, and another thing he knew about him was that he was fast. And from the first practice on, he had my son learn a special play. 
He taught Bo how to run a reverse. Now, for those of you who are football fans, you, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who, are not, uh, you who are not, let me explain a reverse. A reverse is kind of a trick play in which the quarterback gets the snap of the ball and he hands it to one guy who's running behind him from right to left. But then there's another guy coming from left to right and the first man pitches it to the second and it goes the other way and it, mixed, it misdirects and it confuses the defense so that while they're all chasing this guy from right to left, the guy from left to right is carrying it around the end, hopefully getting as much yardage out of it as he possibly can. And the idea is just simply to confuse and misdirect the, the defense so that the team can get a big play. Well, they had been running that play all season in every practice. Bo had had to run that play probably 10 times in every practice, but they never ran it in a game. They hadn't used it at all. And then in the last game of the season, the team was in a critical situation. It was third down and long, and the coach called Bo's reverse. And I could tell by the formation that this is what was going to happen because Bo was especially attentive. It was not particularly stealthy. Nobody was, eight-year-olds are not really good at, at pulling off the, the acting and the drama to really make this play work. So I could tell it was coming. I started thumping Morgan. I said, it's going to be a reverse. It's going to be the reverse. It's happening now. It's ha finally happening. Final game of the season. They're finally going to run it. The ball was snapped. It was handed to the running back. He started running this way, and I saw Bo coming around this side. And Bo got the ball, and he went, and he ran, he broke the corner. And it looked like he had a wide open field, but he did get tackled. But he made it the six yards that he had to make it to get the first down. And I was videoing this, but it was an absolutely useless video because it was one of those that was going up and down just like that. Nobody could ever tell what it was. As far as the people watching the video, my family and all watched it, they thought, well, he must have scored a touchdown. I was like, no, we got a first down. And they said, well, that's an awful lot for a, for a first down. I said, yeah, but it was important. You know, that was... You know, Bo was that small nobody that nobody saw coming around the backside of the field, coming around the corner, and he was fast enough that he was able to make it around the corner for a first down. Now, I'm telling you this story for two reasons. First of all, the coach had a plan that nobody else knew about. He'd prepared one of his players from the beginning of the season to execute that plan at the right moment. Bo was a surprise player. He was the one that nobody was expecting, but he'd been trained for this surprise play at a critical point in the game. The second point is this. The coach saved one of his most important weapons, not for a touchdown and not for glory, but for the first down to keep the team alive in a bad situation and set up the drive that won the game. From the beginning of the season, that coach had that planned. Let me tell you about another plan. And around 480 B.C., 2,600 years ago, the Lord was training one of his players for a surprise play at a critical moment. Her name was Esther. She was a Jew living, in a, living as part of a vulnerable minority in a community of outsiders in the mighty kingdom of Persia, modern-day Iran. Now, Esther was a pretty young woman, 
And she attracted the attention of the Persian emperor when he got mad at his queen and kicked her out of the palace. And to make a long story short, the emperor moved Esther in and made her his queen. Now, unfortunately, even though Esther attracted the affections of her king, her fellow Jews began to attract the jealousy and suspicion of many people in the Persian government. One powerful leader, a hater of Israel and her people named Haman, a Persian official, concocted a plan to eradicate the entire Jewish minority from the empire, stripping them of their property, stripping them of their freedom, and finally stripping them of their lives. Esther's uncle, a blessed man named Mordecai, heard about this plan. And he went to Esther and begged Esther to intervene with the emperor, to speak up and save her people. But Esther was, she was scared. I mean, sure, she had this, this insight, she had this, or this inroad to the king, but she was scared, not just of losing her position, she was scared of losing her, her life. The king was somewhat capricious. And wife or not, to approach the king, to bother him uninvited, to go to him unannounced, was punishable by death. So what could she do? Unless the king summoned her, then she couldn't talk to the king, or so she thought. But Mordecai pled his case for the people, and he said this, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's house, your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. She was the only one who could get the king's attention. She was the only one who could stop the, the slaughter of thousands. And Mordecai believed that she had been brought up for just such a time as this. Now, most people thought that Esther was just a pretty face who happened to be at the right place at the right time to, king's, to catch the king's attention and his affections. But Mordecai knew the truth of it. This was no accident. If you're silent at a time like this, you and your family will be wiped out. But God has made you for this moment. God made you for this moment. God raised her up and he put her in this position. He had made her queen for this moment. Now, I believe that this story is about three things. It's about a people in crisis. Esther's people were on the brink of a holocaust. They were on the brink of wholesale extermination. It's about a girl who had to decide if she would stick her neck out and get involved. And finally, it's about a God who made, prepared, and positioned her to make a difference in the lives of her people. This was her moment. And I believe, in a similar line, this is our moment. I think we can all agree that 2020 is quite a moment. And I believe that God has been making, preparing, and positioning us 
for this moment and beyond. I want us to consider this. In March 2020, none of us anticipated what this last seven months would bring to bear. A global pandemic caused by a virus that came from halfway around the world that never even existed before. A cascading economic recession that would disrupt the strongest economies in, this, uh, in the world and in this nation's history. A viral video of, of a killing that would unleash generations of resentment and frustration over injustice. Anarchists hijacking cities all over America. A political election season inflamed by all of these factors as well as the death of a Supreme Court justice. This past weekend, the President of the United States getting that same virus that has disrupted everything. And you know what? Now whenever I turn on the news and I see the news about hurricanes and wildfires, I start reading the book of Revelation a little bit more carefully. But here's what blows my mind. Here's what shakes me awake and lights my fire. The Lord knew about all of this. None of this is a surprise to him. And knowing that all of this was going to be happening in the world, in the United States, in San Antonio, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and yes, even in our families, our Lord put each one of us here and he put us all together in this place, in this moment, and at this time to deal with all of this. None of this is an accident. I'm not here by accident. You are not here by accident. You all watching online are not here by accident. God brought us all together here for a purpose, and he knew what he was doing. And like Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, I believe that God has people that he has made and prepared and positioned for such a time as this. And so over the next, next several weeks, we're going to study the word of God to see how God has made us for this moment. So how has God made us for this moment? Let's start with our passage for today. God has made us for this moment by his grace. Now, what is grace? A lot of people equate the word grace with the idea of unconditional love. And that's not a terrible definition. But what they so often mean by that is that grace means that no matter what we do, God's still going to love us, that he doesn't judge us, that he doesn't have any problem with who we are, that anything is acceptable to God, that God loves me just the way I am. And you know what? There's a part of that that is true, but that's really a very shallow understanding of God's grace because God's grace is actually much deeper than just simply the idea that God loves you no matter what. Grace is this. God's grace is his unfailing love. Of course, God loves you. Of course, he is crazy about you. He loves us right where he finds us. But here's the kicker. He loves us too much to leave us there. 
We look at those first verses of this passage that we read for today. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Not wounded, not broken, not confused. Dead in trespasses and sins. And God loves us where he finds us, loves us where he finds us dead in sin. But he loves us too much to leave us there. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But grace is also this. It is his undeserved mercy. Which means that even if you mess it up, even if I mess it up, he's not going to throw you away. And on top of that, his grace is his unstoppable power. That means that God not only loves us, he also has the power to make a difference in our lives. Not just now, but for forever. So God's grace is not just that he loves us. It is that he has forgiven us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we are in the palm of his hand and he will not let us go. But here's another key factor of understanding God's grace. God's grace is also his providential initiative. His providential initiative. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What this means is that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not worthless or insignificant. You are not a bystander. Your life has not been a waste of time. You and I matter to God. You are his precious child. And as the psalmist says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has been shaping you to play an important role on his kingdom team and in his kingdom plans. You see, before you were born, God made you a part of his plan. Before you were born, he had already planned to put you in the position to make a difference. And you know what? That's an important job. Not the kind of job that you trust to an employee, but the kind of job you entrust to your child, to your heir, to a member of the family. And God has made you a part of his family and chosen you and chosen me and chosen us for such a time as this. Take all of that, and what it means is that you and I are designed for a destiny. Now, what are we designed for? What is our purpose? What is our destiny? Well, the human race has a destiny. We have a purpose. As the Westminster Catechism says, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God's purpose, though, is even deeper than that. God's purpose for us, God's design for us, is to take his love and share that glory with the world. Listen to what Paul says. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You were saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to give glory to God first. 
by drawing attention, as a witness, by drawing attention to, to your salvation, God's love for you, by showing it, by demonstrating to the world that you trust that he loves you, and second, by drawing attention to him and his compassion through the work that you do. You know, too often we look at salvation from a perspective of privilege rather than humility. We think that salvation is about, is about just survival and not service. But by his grace, by God's providential influence, God has saved us for service. As the followers of Jesus Christ and as members of this church, he has put us in a position to help people to survive systems that are often too big or too much for them to handle. He gave us a position. He put in us a position to give people the basic skills and tools they need to function. Before you were born, he planned to put you in a position to share the love and truth and joy of God, of Jesus Christ, with someone else. You know what? You are part of God's plan for someone else's life. You are part of God's plan for this city. You are God's present help in time of need. And I'm going to blow your mind with this, what I'm about to say. As insignificant as you may think you are, as weak or as unqualified or as nervous or as humble as you may be, God has put you in a position to be his answer to someone else's prayer. Did you ever think about that? That God has made you his answer to someone else's prayer. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has made you for this moment. But God has customized and designed our role in this plan. He's designed each of us to play a different role in that purpose. We're not just delegated, excuse me, we're not just designed for a destiny. We're made for this moment. And God has made the unique you for this moment. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. We are made for this moment by God's grace, by God's providential initiative. We are made for this moment by faith, believing that God has, has a plan and a purpose for our lives and a position on his team. We are made for this moment by love. We have been shaped lovingly by the hands of the Father and by the people who have loved us throughout our lives. The, the, work, the word workmanship actually means craftsmanship. It comes from the root word that we translate as poem. You are a painting. You're a work of art. You are lovingly shaped by the hands of the potter, your Father. And God has been carefully shaping you by giving you spiritual gifts, by giving you passions, by giving you abilities, by giving you personality, and by giving you experiences, good, bad, joy, and pain. We're going to be talking about all of this, but God has been shaping you. And here's the point. God made you for this moment. Listen to what he said to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You know what? The only words you need to change in that verse to apply it to yourself are the words prophet and nations. Because God's customized it to you. That was Jeremiah's call, but he has a call just like that for you. 
And the Lord is not just waiting, looking around for talent. He's not a talent scout looking for people who can play the game. He's not looking to discover people because the Lord, our God, is not about discovery. Our God is about development. He is making you. He has made you for the moment that he will deploy you. So our goal over the next few weeks is to help you live into this moment for which God has made you. You know, there's a difference between walking in God's destiny and just wandering around. We want to turn this moment into momentum. And we want to do it for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But even though that's what we want to do, we know and we have to acknowledge that there are three things that derail our design by dividing and distracting us. Paul names them. First, he says, we are derailed and distracted by following the course of this world. We get derailed, we get turned aside whenever we start listening to what the world tell, tells us about ourselves. And when the world tells us about the way things are supposed to be. When it starts breaking us down, when it starts putting in front of us ideas to which we cannot measure up. When it starts putting impossible or ungodly standards before us. Paul's saying we will get derailed from God's design when we keep if we keep listening to this world. He says we get derailed by following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Do you know that, yes, you do have that little devil barking in your ear all the time, telling you that you're not good enough, telling you that you're not important, telling you that you can't do anything, telling you that you can't be bothered? Maybe he's telling you the other thing. You're too good for this. You're too impressive for this. There's no reason that you should waste your time doing this. But then when those lies and the accusations stop, then he starts threatening you. If you do this, you will suffer. If you do this, I will make you suffer. This is a spiritual attack. And I just love it that, you know, when the devil tries to remind you of your past, remind him about his future. Because God has designed you for a destiny and he's made you for this moment. Don't give up God's purpose for your life. The third thing that derails us and distracts us are the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Here's the problem. Even if the devil wasn't tempting us and distracting us, there's enough going on inside of me, inside of here, to keep me plenty distracted and derailed from God's purposes. Whether it's self-doubt, whether it is pity, whether it is arrogance, whatever it is, whether it is lust or anger or any other sin, we can't allow our brokenness to derail us and distract us from God's purposes. So don't listen to the flesh. Listen to the Spirit of God. These three things keep us from living the design that God has for us. And so Paul says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And that would still be true of us if not for the grace of God in Jesus Christ because then Paul delivers the most beautiful word in the entire Bible. But you were dead in sin and trespasses. You were totally off the rails of the destiny for which God had designed you. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin and trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
And by grace, you have been saved so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has saved us and designed us to share his love and glory with the world. And he doesn't want us to miss out on that. And so he has saved us by his grace. Here is the grace of God. God's unfailing love, his undeserved mercy, his unstoppable power, and his providential initiative are bigger. That is to say, God's design and destiny is bigger than the death and the corruption that derails and divides and distracts us. And so when we consider this moment and how God is going to deploy us, we remember that we start with the foundation of his grace. Do you believe that God has a plan and purpose for your life? And that as crazy as this 2020 world is, that he has made you for this moment. Our beloved pastor emeritus, Dr. Louis Sabendon, passed into the church triumphant on September 11th, 2020. He preached his last sermon, however, in January of 2017. That sermon was based on that well-known story from the book of Esther. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For his memorial service, Lewis's family composed a letter based on that sermon to be shared with the church family on the day of their father's celebration of life. In that letter, Anne and Lewis III, Katie and Betsy wrote this. Into all of our lives, God places opportunities to grow, to change, to risk, to extend the kingdom. And now as a congregation, now you as a congregation are moving into a new era. God is going to give you each opportunities to change, to risk, to dare, to extend the kingdom. And to you, for just such a time as this, in his mercy, God has placed you in the right place at the right time, with the right gifts, with the right people, for the right needs, and for all the right opportunities. Don't forget the words of Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future with hope. He continues, or they continued, and so as you begin to think about leaving this morning, Would you take with you the message from Esther that God is at work for our salvation and deliverance? Whoever here is the most discouraged, the most in despair, the most fearful, God loves you, and he is at work for your deliverance, and I would add he has designed you for his destiny. Would you take that home with you today? The reality that God is placing in your life each day the opportunity to grow, to change, to dare, to extend his kingdom. You know, salvation may come from somewhere else, may not come from us, but he's called us for this moment. We know that all salvation comes through Jesus Christ, but there's no telling how he would use this this group of people 
And yet, he has put us here in this moment for this time and for his purposes. It's something that we remember each time we come to this table. That Jesus Christ came to this world to fulfill the purpose for which God sent him. But before he, before he departed this world to return to his father... He gathered his disciples and he said, God has a purpose for you. God has a commission for you. And whenever you begin to forget that purpose, I want you to remember that I claimed my purpose. I claimed this moment because my God, my Father, has sent me to remind you of his real love for you and his real power to make a difference in your life now and forever. And so on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord gathered at the table with his disciples and he said, I'm going to give you some things to remember all of these things that I have taught you that God has a plan and purpose for your life because he, has a plan and a, he had a plan and a purpose for my life and I am now sharing that purpose with you because you are my body. And on Pentecost, the church received the power to go forth into all the world and make disciples. At this table, Christ reminded them that I have come to fulfill my destiny, to give my life, my body, and my blood for you. And this bread, this cup, is a sign and a seal that God's love for you is as real as the bread that you put in your mouth and as real as the cup that you bring to your lips. And so he bids us to come to this table, not as a reenactment of things that happened, but as a sign and a seal of his real power, his real providential initiative, his real grace in our lives. And so we come to this table today because he is bidding us to receive this invitation and to walk forward into this moment. This moment that he has prepared for us. And this moment that he is calling us to serve. Just as he served with his own body and blood. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples. He called them together and he said, This is your purpose to worship me and to go forth and to lift up the Son of Man that all men may be drawn to him. Today, he invites you to this same table. We do not come because we are righteous. We do not come because we are perfect. We come because we are invited and we come because we are forgiven. We once were dead in sin and trespasses, but now by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We are prepared to do the works that he has called us to do. And so I invite all to this table who are baptized in his name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I invite all those who call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, all those who have made the public commitment to follow him as disciples, to come to this table, to be fed and to be reminded of his call 
for this moment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of your grace that is clearly displayed and centered upon the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to feast on your grace at this time, Lord. We come to you in our poverty to taste the richness of your love. We come to you, Lord, in our unrighteousness to taste the depth of your righteousness that's given in Christ. Lord, we come to you in our death, and we come to taste you, the God of abundant life. Lord, we come in our sin, and we come to taste and to be nourished by your forgiveness that is offered only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would consecrate and set apart this common and ordinary means of grace and use it in extraordinary ways, that you would nourish us with your grace through the bread and the cup. And Lord, as you nourish us, we pray that you would use us to show your grace to others. Lord, we pray that you would empower us to love as you have loved us, that we would discover the joy of living in loss for others, that you would help us to believe the reality of your teaching, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you have shaped us for this season, made us for this moment. You've designed us, Lord, for your will and your kingdom to come as you redeem this crisis. Lord, we pray for those who need a strong sense of your grace, those who are struggling with sickness, those who have more fear than faith, those who have been ambushed by their anxieties and are paralyzed needing to have a fresh sense of your providence and your sovereignty. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for hope. We pray for resurrection power in this season. Lord, we ask that you would provide for us, your people, faith to believe that you will give us our daily bread. We do thank you for the signs and the evidences of your victory that we see in hope, in people, in places. And as we come to this table together this morning, we pray you would nourish us with your grace and give us faith to see, to savor, and to show your hope to our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and among the nations. We pray this, Lord, as your children, secure in your love, praying the way that you taught us to pray, saying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As it was given unto me, so now I give it unto you, that on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he sat at table with his disciples. And after supper... He gave thanks, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. 
Take and drink you all of it, and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared, and he is calling for you.